One of the coolest jobs that I have um, here at the church is to be able to hear the story of people, of changed lives, and um, to hear the testimonies of those who God has done incredible things in. A couple of months ago, I had that opportunity. Heather Hayes uh, came up to me, Heather and her husband, Tracy, and their son, Jackson. You remember Jackson got uh, baptized about a month and a half ago, uh, came to know Jesus uh, just a, a month and a half ago. Uh, I'm excited about that. And Heather came to me. And uh, I had to listen to her because she had an amazing Mississippi accent. So I'm, I'm listening, and, and she's telling me, she said, uh, Pastor Justin, I want to I, I I share with you, I have this passion to share with you about this thing called Celebrate Recovery. And so she explained to me a little bit about what Celebrate Recovery was and, and, and that it changed her life and that she wanted to potentially help lead to start a Celebrate Recovery right here at the church. Well, those are the very kind of things that I get excited about is when God changes people, does things in their lives, and then they want to see that happen in the lives of other people. And so we sat down in my office and I listened to her testimony. And I said, Heather, I, I can't hog that testimony. I can't be the only one that hears that story. So we've invited Heather this, this morning to come and to share her story, and, and it's a story of, of reconciliation. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to hear this, not, uh, you know, we're, now this is not just simply a testimony to promote, celebrate recovery. This is to glorify God, to hear of what he's done in the life of an individual, and, and to remember, you know, Joshua, they set those stones in the Jordan River, to, to by the Jordan River to remember what God had done, his faithfulness to deliver them and to give them the promised land. And today we want to set a stone down uh, of, of Heather's life to, to remember the faithfulness and the love and the grace of our God. So without any further that are due. Brothers and sisters, let's welcome Heather Hayes. Thank you. Good morning, church. I have shared my testimony numerous times, but I've never been given a time frame. So I'm a little nervous this morning. Pastor has given me 20 minutes, and that's it. For a southern girl, that's not very much. So... I want to introduce myself. I'm, my name is Heather Hayes. Um, I'm a believer in Christ Jesus, and he is my higher power. And I have struggled in my past with addiction um, to prescription pain pills and antidepressants. Um, so I'm going to share my story with you guys, and I want you to just keep in mind that prior to sharing my story, um, I used to be very nervous and apprehensive to even put myself out there because I was afraid of what people would think of me. But through my healing and my recovery, I've overcome that, and I don't care what you guys think about me. As long as you know Jesus, I don't care. So um, I grew up in a home with two siblings, an older brother who I'm very blessed to have here with me today from Tennessee. And he didn't know this was happening either. So, um, And a younger sister... When we grew up um, fairly poor, um, we didn't have a whole lot growing up. My, um, my dad worked, my mom was a stay-at-home wife and um, caretaker, and there were times growing up that we, um, our lights and water would get shut off, and it would be the next payday before they were turned back on or till my mom conjured up a way to get them back on. Um, we just powered through it somehow growing up in a, um, we grew up in a mobile home, a two-bedroom mobile home. We all shared the same room, but we did life. Um, it was not easy. Um, we were 
mocked sometimes at school because our clothes were hand-me-downs from the neighbors. And you know how girls can be mean and say, that was mine, she's wearing my clothes. Um, and so we were made fun of sometimes for that. But, you know, um, it was sometimes a lesson and sometimes um, very shameful at the same time. Um, and when we were, my brother and I were pretty close in age, so um, when we were old enough to get jobs, we got jobs and we, um, we helped pay the bills. We, most of the time we never even seen our paycheck. My mother would go get our pay and she would pay bills with it. Um, and when we graduated high school, my brother had joined the Marines, broke my heart, crushed my heart. My best friend was leaving. Um, but I knew that was something because I wanted out just as bad as he did. So he joined the Marine Corps, went off to California, left me in Podunk, Tennessee, you know. So um, I had to get a job um, after high school. I got a full-time job at a printing company. Um, my sister, who was um, two years younger, she was at the age of 16, she was pregnant um, and married and well on her way with her second child by the age of 17, um, but that was the life she chose, and my brother and I, we just kept chugging along to get out. Um, so at the age of 18, I went to work at the printing company, um, worked there for almost a year, and I got hurt, um, got caught in a press, um, lost a couple fingers, they were able to salvage one, you know, at 18, 19 years old. I was so embarrassed by my hand. It scorned me. I was just like, people are going to judge me again. So I was going through this whole judgment thing again. Um, I was just scared of what people were going to think because I was missing a finger. Um, a finger, okay? And there's people walking around <laughs> missing all kinds of limbs. Um, so that was the first introduction for me to pain pills. Um, and from that day, I liked it. Um, I liked how it made me feel like I didn't care about the world. I didn't care what anybody thought about me. Um, I was hurting inside. I wasn't hurting physically, but I hid my addiction. I went further with it, um, and I ended up um, not ever going back to work there um, because, you know, they lay you off if you have some kind of job-related accident. So I lost my job there. I was still living at home. Um, you know, I found another job, and I'm just chugging along here, still hiding my addiction. And all the while, I recognize that my mother is in the same addiction that I'm in. And um, she had some health issues, and she blamed it on that just the same as I did. We blame it on something else. But once you're given that first prescription, and you don't know how to control it, and you like it, and you're hurting, and you hide it, it just takes a hold on you, or it did me. And my mother, she was taking my pain pills. Um, and, and I was inside, I was hurting because I knew what it was doing to me and I knew what it was doing to her. Um, and that was all about the time frame of 1999. My brother um, and sister, we were all just kind of spread out. I was still living at home, helping my mom pay bills, my dad pay bills. Um, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. It was just like all this traumatic stuff just piling on top of my family. And all the hurt that I felt just kept getting deeper and deeper in addiction, antidepressants. Um, 
And the doctors kept giving them to me. I told them I was hurting, they'd give it to them. I told them I wanted to commit suicide, they'd give it to me. Anything I could do to get my hands on um, painkillers, I did. Um, in 2002, I met the man of my dreams, somebody that could take me away from all of the hurt and pain I felt at home. Um, and I remember telling my mom, I'm going to marry this guy someday. And she was like, oh, you're not good enough. You're not good enough for that family. And I knew inside that I didn't have to be good enough. I just had to be me. But on the outside, I portrayed someone I wasn't. I hid my addiction. I hid everything from them. Um, and so we dated for almost a year. And tragedy really struck my family in, in May 22, 2003. Um, my, my mom, dad, my sister, and I. And um, they also had custody of a little boy whose mother was in jail because of drugs. Um, and they got him at um, probably a year, two years old. They've had him, and he was, at five, he was five at this time. We had all been out shopping for the day, coming home, and my mom had a pulmonary embolism while driving. And we struck a tree head on. She, she died before we ever wrecked. Um, my dad was in a coma and was airlifted to a hospital in Tennessee. Um, my sister was six months pregnant with her third child. And she, they couldn't airlift her because of the pregnancy. So she was driven by ambulance to a hospi another hospital. And then we had Luke, um, the five-year-old boy that my mom and dad had custody of. And he was um, not expected to live. He coded in the um, helicopter, the plane, the flight. He coded three or four times. Um, the doctors had no hope for him. Um, but I'm happy to say he is now 20 years old. Yeah, he'll be 21 this year. He does have some paralysis, but he's sharper than I am. He finished high school, graduated. Um, he's a good kid. And he still lives back with my dad and my sister. So um, that was when my addiction to painkillers and antidepressants went off the charts. Um, the doctors were feeding them to me. I was broken on my whole left side. Um, my brother and I had to do a funeral without my, my dad because he was still in the hospital, didn't even know my mom had died. Um, and so we, we had to handle it all on our own. Somehow we did it, but, you know, my life was such a blur through addiction. There's a lot of things people say to me, do you remember this? And I'm like, sorry. I was just kind of gone for, except for about 10 years I was gone. Um... My brother has mentioned things since he's been here, and I'm like, I just, I just play along. I don't really remember, but I play along. Um, <laughs> but he, um, he and I had endured a lot, um, from supporting my parents to taking on um, Luke, and we had to help take care of him as well. And um, I had an aunt and uncle that had three kids, and they fought all the time, and my mom. Um, took their kids in. She, that's the kind of person she was. Was she's, She had a heart of gold, but she got stuck in the addiction as well. And so I blamed her after her death. I blamed her for my addiction as well because she didn't stop it. And I know that was wrong now, but at the time I didn't. Um, so after she passed away, I just got deeper and deeper. And Tracy and I had nowhere to go after her death. I, um, my dad lost their home. Had nowhere to go. 
um, so I moved in with Tracy, and we lived together for about five years. In 2008, um, I got pregnant with Jackson, and we weren't married. We were just living together. We didn't want kids. We weren't planning to have kids. That would throw a wrench in our partying and weekend lifestyle. So um, I was pregnant, and there was nothing else we could do. I was still addicted. There was nothing. I did not know how to stop it. I slowed my, my pill taking down. I was pregnant, and I know everybody's sitting there thinking, how could you? You've not been there. You don't know how hard it is to just stop taking the pills. Um, but I was. I was pregnant, taking painkillers, antidepressants. Um, it was hard. It was hard on my husband. Um, we got married right after we found out I was pregnant. We got married, um, and he knew that I was but at the same time, I was like, no, I'm trying to quit. I'm trying to quit. But it was hard. You can't detox pregnant, I thought. Um, so Jackson was born premature. He was born um, at 31 weeks. He weighed 3 pounds, 9 ounces. And he stayed in the NICU for a month and a half. And I blamed myself for it. I blamed um, my mother for it. I blamed everybody that I shouldn't blame for it. I blame God for um, throwing this wrench in my, my plans of success. You know, I was just not a happy person. I was very short-tempered and ready to explode at the first person that walked up to me. It didn't matter what they said or how they approached me. I was mad all the time. Um, so that went on. We, we were financially hurting. I... Um, Jackson was in the NICU, and it took everything we had just to stay together and deal with it. Um, it was not the plans that we had for our life. So in 2011, I was so far gone, I didn't care if I lived or if I died. I was ready. I tried to overdose several times. Um, I was just done. I was ready to die. And um, we had just bought a new house, and we had been there maybe three days. And I had been caught up with some people doing bad things. Um, you'll do anything to get your, your fix. You'll do anything to get pills. I'd spent our savings account um, buying pills off the street um, from a trusted friend. And I trusted the friend enough um, that he was robbing places and... I knew it, but I didn't come forward, so I got just in as much trouble as he did. Um, but it was all because I needed that pill. I needed that pill. Um, I needed that high, that, that, that stopped me from hurting on the inside. It just numbed me. Um, and there's so many people that do that. Um, my friend, I had friends that were doing it, so-called friends. So in April the 15th, April 15th tax day, 2011, um, the police came into my home. We had been there living in that house for three days. Um, they came in. I was passed out on the sofa. Jackson was in daycare, um, and I had tried to overdose, and they came in and arrested me. They didn't care how far gone I was. I was. They didn't care that I was almost overdosed. They arrested me that day. Um, put me in jail, never even had a speeding ticket prior. I had dodged every bullet somehow miraculously 
I dodged everything. Um, but that day was the end to so many things. Um, it was the end of my marriage. It was the end of being a mother. It was the end of my nice car, my nice home. Everything I had, I lost that day. Um, they put me in jail. They wanted me, they wanted information from me. They was wanting me to tell all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm just not even going to say anything. I'm going to lay here and I'm going to detox. So that's what I did for 12 days. I spent in jail. Um, my family turned their backs on me. Um, my dad was just, he didn't even care at that point. Um, my sister, um, I had called her a couple of times to try to get her to come get me. And she's like, I'm not coming to get you. You're there. Um, I signed papers for divorce and my custody of my child over to my, to Tracy while I was in jail. Um, everything was taken from me from that day forward, um, or from that moment. But while I was in jail, um, the state chaplain came and visited the jail one day, um, and he came to me and he says, and he knew me, he knew my mom, Every, it was a small town, everybody knew each other, and he says, Heather, what are you doing here? It's like, you know, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. I was speechless pretty much. He was like, do you have a Bible? I was like, yeah, there's one in there. And he said, are you reading it? It's like, yeah. Um, some, I said, I've been reading a little bit in Job because that's a little about how I feel right now. And he said, honey, get out of Job. You will die. <laughs> he said, start reading in John. And so, you know, I started reading more and more. Um, and I was like, you know, Lord, if, if you are really there, if, if you are really, if there is a God, show me the way I need to go here. Tell me what to do. And so the next day, um, the jailer came in to get me, and he said, if you can get somebody, I don't care who it is, to come get you, I'll let you out of here for 20 bucks. I was like, okay. So I just started calling people. And nobody would answer the phone, of course, because it's coming from a jail. So um, finally, um, they got in touch with my sister, and she came and got me. But what you need to know is living with my sister is not where I needed to be because she is also stuck in the addiction. Um, and I did not need to be there, but I had nowhere else to go. So I stayed there, and there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of arguing. My dad was there, and there was a lot of shaming. Um, it was not a good place to be in when you need to get your life together. But I stayed there. I applied for housing through the housing projects. Um, and I say this, and I don't say it um, in discrimination, but I got an apartment. I was the only white person in this apartment complex. Um, never lived anywhere like that before in my life. I was scared to death. Um, and all I had was a sack of clothes and my Bible. But I had Jesus at this point. I knew that when he gave me that sign that I needed, I got out. And I had him in my life. Um, and I, I, I made a promise to myself that I would not go back. No matter what, I would not go back to the addiction. Um, and, you know, I don't know if any of you believe in being delivered, but I believe I was delivered from my addiction um, from that day because I've never been tried, I've never been tempted, I've never had the cravings. 
It was like they just went away from, from wherever. They just never came back. Um, but I had lost everything. I still had lost everything. But I had Jesus in my heart now, so I knew I could do it. Well, when they released me from jail, they told me I had to get into some kind of recovery program. Whether it was in-house, whether it was meetings, I had to be in recovery within 30 days. So um, this, the pastor that came and seen me, he said, was telling me about Celebrate Recovery. Um, so I went to a meeting one night, and my first meeting was, um, they were in a lesson called Turn. And when I walk in and have a seat, um, there's a retired highway patrolman teaching the lesson. So how intimidating is that for somebody who's facing jail time, who's in a highway patrolman teaching a, le uh, a lesson in Celebrate Recovery? Um, and, and the lesson was on turn. When you're up against the wall and you have nowhere else to go, where are you going to turn? Um, and that, that really struck home to me because I had nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. Um, nobody was believing me, nobody was listening to me, and nobody cared. I felt very unloved and very alone. But I knew I had to keep going because I had a child. I knew that child needed a mother. Um, a good mother, because I was a horrible wife and a horrible mother. So um, I got my apartment. I just stayed in my Bible and went to my meetings, and there were meetings all over town, and I went to a meeting every single day. Usually that was the only place I got a meal because I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. So I went to these meetings. I weighed maybe 95 pounds, soaking wet, um, and that was where my meals came from. But I had to earn the respect back from Tracy. I had to earn my son back. And I knew that. I knew what was coming for me. Um, I was facing um, 30 years in prison. I had all these massive fines. But, you know, that was in the back burner to me. My child was my main priority. Um, and I knew in my heart that even though Tracy divorced me, that he was still my husband. And I prayed endlessly, tirelessly for God to soften his heart. And, you know, this went on for about a year of just, I found a job. I got a really good job, actually, for um, working for General Electric. I was working third shift. Um, I had gotten, gained some visitation rights to Jackson. I was getting him on the weekends. Um, and he was getting to stay overnight with me. Um, it was not easy, but I knew I had to keep going. Um, I could not give up. Quitting was not an option for me at this point. Um, so I just kept doing what was asked of me. I met these ladies in Celebrate Recovery that just, they loved me for me. They didn't care what I had done, where I had been, or what was wrong with me. They just loved me. And for the first time in a very long time, I felt loved. I didn't feel like I was being looked at as this awful person or this poor child uh, was being loved by these ladies and guided. God used them as a vessel to, to, to him. They just poured love and the love of Christ into me. Um, they taught me so much about prayer and about they taught me to pray. They helped me, you know, learn the word to read my Bible I just did what these ladies told me and, and guided me to do. Um, and I'd, I'd never felt 
any kind of connection like that with my mother, even in my life, because it was always what she wanted me to do was help work and help and pay bills. And I love my mother, don't get me wrong. I do love my mother, but it was a different kind of connection I had um, because it was Christ-like. It wasn't a forced um, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but I kept doing what was asked, and I prayed every day for my husband because he was not he was not a Christian. We didn't live a Christian lifestyle, and I knew that if we were to try and work things out, it would not work. We would be right back where we were because we had not made that step together. And so I just kept praying, you know, God, whatever it is, touch this man's heart, touch his heart. Um, and he was embarrassed by the fact that I'd been arrested. My name was splattered on the front page of our local newspaper. Um, it was just a big man judgment is what it was. I was being judged by man. And in his eyes, he didn't see what I was changing on the inside. So after a year of that, I was sentenced. Um, I go into the, the, my lawyer calls me and um, he says, you're going to have to come down. I'd just gotten off um, overnight shift, and he says, you need to come down to the courthouse right now. Um, they're, they're ready to get you taken care of. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. So I knew what I was facing, but I, I, I was like, you know, God, it's in your hands. I prayed before I went. It's like, whatever it is, you can make this, whatever your will is for my life, it's in your hands now. I knew I couldn't change anything. So I get there, and the judge... Um, we had just a little private meeting to the side, and the judge tells me that I have three days to come up with $10,000 or I would be in prison for 30 years. And I was like, holy smokes, I didn't even have $5, didn't even know where to get 10000 And so I was like, you know, okay, okay, what do I do? So I go back to my little apartment, and I'm just praying, and... Um, I thought, you know, I'll just go to the bank. See, I had a car. I had a title to the car. It wasn't worth probably $1,000, but maybe they would help me out. So I go down to the bank and talk to the banker. Didn't even know the man. I told him everything. I was honest. For the first time, I was honest about what was going on with me. And he looks at me, and he's like, you know, I'm going to help you out. And he gave me $5,000 loaned me $5,000 against my car, $1,000 car. I was like, okay, here we go. This is God. God's got a hand in this somewhere. So um, I still had to come up with $5,000. And on the Sunday night before um, I was to be in court on Monday, a lady that I worked with came to my house, and she was like, you know, I was at church today, and I just felt this urge that urge that you needed something. What is it that you need, Heather? And I, I was honest. I told her exactly where I was at. She wrote me a check for $5,000, and I, I didn't really know the lady. I just worked with her. Um, and I, I, I was very hesitant about taking it because I'd never been offered anything like that. And I was like, I, I don't even know how I can pay you back. And she said, don't worry about that. We'll get there someday. Um, and so... When I showed up Monday morning for court, I had not told my lawyer, I had not told judge, nothing that I had the money. And they was like, so, did you have any luck? And I was like, nope, I had Jesus. And I laid it out there, and um, they just, their eyes got this big, and they was like, well, you can't bring us cash. You've got to go get a cashier's check. So, so 
I'd never seen that much money at one time my whole life. So um, I went and did that, and um, they sentenced me to a year of house arrest and five years probation, and I had $30,000 worth of fines stacked on top of me. Um, I, I lost my job because it was in Tennessee, my, and I lived in Mississippi, which was right on the state line. It's kind of like Kenai Sadatna. So um, I could not drive that five miles to work across the state line, so I lost my job. And I, was, I did not have any other job lined up. I didn't know what I was going to do. Now I owed all this money. It's like, oh, here we go again, God. Tell me what to do. And so, you know, the ladies that um, I'd met through Celebrate Recovery, they had prayed for me endlessly, and they still pray for me today. Um, I said, this is, I will have a job by next Friday. They looked at me, and their eyes were this big, and it's like, nobody's going to hire you. You have a felony conviction. I was like, God's got this. So um, I found a job. It was not easy. Um, I do have um, certification in welding. So I went to a welding steel fab shop, the only woman there, and I got myself a job. Um, I made enough money to keep my apartment, to pay my monthly fines, and maybe have $10 for groceries. But I made it. I made it work somehow. I made that work. Um, God made it work because I, I was just done with all the money stuff. You know, I, that was on the back burner for me. Money was... So what man tried to use to harm me and what Satan tried to use to tear me down, God was using every single day of my life to, to lift me up. Um, it's amazing how he worked in my life. I kept praying for my husband. Um, because And he's like, I'm not your husband anymore. I divorced you. I'm like, you're my husband. I married you as my husband. And until God releases this from me, you are still my husband. And so... Um, after two years, I had gotten to the point where he was not where I was. He was not on the same page I was at this point. I was in church. I was dragging Jackson to church. Every time anything was happening, we were there. Um, and Tracy was starting to notice it, but he would not admit it. He was not going to say, oh, look at what she's, how good she's doing. He would never admit it. But God got a hold of this man's heart. I want you guys to... I'm going to read this, he, and I do have permission, even though he's not here. Um, he couldn't find somebody to work for him on January 1, of course. So um, I'm going to read this letter to you that he left on my doorsteps one Sunday um, when I came home from church. There was a card, this letter, and a um, bundle of flowers. And it says, Heather, I'm at a loss. I don't know what else to say or do to prove how much I love you and care for you and how much I want us to be a complete loving family. I just want the chance to prove those things to you and put you first because that is what you deserve. Very undeserving. Um, I'm so proud of the person you, you've become, the strength that you've gained. I want to be by your side, and I want you to help me through this journey. I do truly believe that God has spoken to me and has taken hold of my heart. He has shown me that I have to be open and not hold anything in. I want to share that with you. At the same time, I need your help guiding me. I know you're scared because you're, you've never um, heard these things from me before, but I want you to look at it as a good thing, as a stepping stone to a loving, caring relationship that we can have together. 
please give me the chance to show you how much I love you and care for you and want to be by your side and depend on you and defend you and protect you like the loving husband you truly deserve. I didn't deserve that. Um, he deserved a loving wife is what I thought. I thought I was never good enough for him. Um, but he was feeling the love of God, and he was feeling um, very ashamed of himself for divorcing me and for leaving me to defend myself. Um, but that wasn't all. Um, God wasn't done with us. Um, we ended up, I, I was still very hesitant because I was afraid of that hurt again. I had finally gotten past the hurt and pain I'd felt for so many years. It's like, I just don't know if I can do it. But we worked it out. Two years um, after all this mess, and I had went through my year of house arrest, just fine, went to work every day, went home. Um, my probation was cut back. Um, that's a God thing there because they would have never, but it was cut back some. Um, my fines are um, paid. Everything is where it needs to be. And he says, let's get married. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. He says, no, let's go get remarried. This is what we need to do. We need to start a home that is full of Christ. We need to live the right way. We don't need all that old junk in our lives. So we changed our people, places, and things. We got remarried in August of 2013. Um, and, you know, for the first time, our, our marriage was right. We love each other. We don't fight. We've not even, um, we hardly even argue. If we do, it's like in a picking, kidding way. We don't, um, I don't know, it's just different. And it's because we have God in our lives. He's in our home. He's in our son's life. Um, I'm just very blessed to be able to share this with you today because if you don't know what the person next to you is going through or what they've been through, you could very easily hurt them or turn the one that's going to commit suicide. And, and suicide to me is very, um, because I was there. I was ready to just give up. And nobody knew it. So um, I say these things and um, I ask you guys to just look at your neighbor and, and pray for your neighbor. Pray for each other. Love people. You know, um, I have some co-workers here. I love people. I work in retail and it's not easy. It's very hard. But I still love people. And they, and they know I'd give the shirt off my back. But prior to my when I was in my addiction, I wouldn't have helped a homeless person. I would have turned my back. Um, but I'm, I want you guys to know this and know how important it is that we just love each other. That's all. Did I do it okay? And that's the power of God. It's, uh, it's incredible to hear, and the worship team can come back on up. Uh, but just wanted to say, you know, as, as Heather and I were talking and she was sharing that story, the story that kept coming back to my mind was the story of the prodigal son. And, and you think that there, there are times when, when God, in his grace, he lets us take something down all the way to its end 
to show us that, that it can't satisfy us, that it can't give us what we think that it can offer us. And, and, and when we get to the end of that, in his grace, he's let us get to that point, just like the prodigal son who had taken that inheritance from his father, had blown it on wild living, thought that that would give him the joy and the satisfaction and the freedom and the life that he wanted, and it didn't. But that same grace that let that son take that thing to its end was the same grace that when that son turned back to the father, said, well, maybe I can go back to my house and at least be a slave to my dad because that's better than eating with the pigs here where I've currently found myself. And the story goes in Luke 15 that when he came back to the father, when the father saw him a long way off, the father ran to him and he threw his arms around his son. And before the son could even get the rehearsed speech out of his mouth, he said, get the best coat, get the biggest ring, and kill the best cow in the pasture. Let's have a party because my son's come back home. And that's the grace of God. And, and some of us in this room this morning are feeling the younger brother story where we've walked down that road and maybe you're at the end of your rope right now and maybe nobody else knows that. And it's that same grace that God has given you to take that thing to its end to see that it's not going to give you what you thought it would. And to say today that there's a father who loves you and in grace is waiting for you to turn back to him, to admit your need and come to him as the need meter. But I think there's more of us this morning that are in the position of the older brother. You remember the older brother was the one who stood there and got angry. He said, why would you give my brother all of that special treatment when he came back? He blew all your money. He turned his back on the family. And I've been here day in and day out doing everything you asked me to do. There was no grace in the heart of the, young, of the older brother. And many of us might feel that where we've been in church week in and week out. And we grew up and we did all the right things. But you know who Jesus was talking to in that parable? He was talking to the Pharisees. And and the Pharisees were looking down at Jesus for sitting at a table and eating with the prostitutes and with the tax collectors. And what many of us as older brothers, and I can relate better to the older brother, until we realize that the same grace that was afforded to the younger brother is the exact same grace, the only grounds to which we, the older brother, can also approach the throne. See, it doesn't matter how how much of your act you've had together over your, your life. The only way we can come to the Father is through the blood of Jesus. And every single one of us need that grace. And so, so what I ask is as a church that we take the masks off, that we quit playing the games, to realize it's a level playing field, that each of us are desperate sinners who need the grace of God, but we have the grace of God, that Jesus is sufficient. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And whether we're coming from the heart of the older brother or can relate with Heather that we came to the end of our rope like the younger brother, let's sing out in one voice the amazing grace of our Father. All right, um, I'm going to have Heather come back on up here. We um, kind of as our missions moment for the month, uh, we want to talk a little bit about, you've heard us mention uh, a couple weeks ago and then today, Heather mentioned, I've mentioned the the term uh, celebrate recovery. Uh, but some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? And this is something that Heather came to me saying, this is, this is a vehicle, that, make no mistake, you heard today, God is the one that changed Heather's life. But a vehicle that he used was Celebrate Recovery. Um, so to the place we want to start, and Heather, what in the world is Celebrate Recovery? Celebrate Recovery is a group setting. It's a 12-step program, but it's biblically um, 
written. It is um, a faith-based program for anyone who has any hurt habit or hang-up. It's not just for addiction to drugs and alcohol. Um, it's food addictions. It is um, pornography, sexual addictions, anyone who, what keeps you from God? You know, it, it is the place to come. Um, it's a small group setting, a large group setting. Um, men and women are divided. You're not challenged that way. Um, it's not a dating, dating scene. It is. Um, <laughs> sorry, Justin. So sorry. It is a place for healing. Um, it, it, is, it is a place of healing and, and, and loving people who feel unloved. For being there, being the ear for the person who has no one to hear them, to listen to them. Yeah, and uh, we uh, we want because a lot of times a group like this, especially because it kind of is associated with an AA type of a thing, uh, that that we might, as you're hearing this, go, okay, well, I have a friend who's a drug addict or an alcoholic. But as you heard, just Heather just say, this goes a lot deeper than that. And and Jeannie, we're going to show a video here uh, that kind of speaks to what Heather mentioned about what really it says CR that stands for Celebrate Recovery. Um, a little video here about that. Does that does that cover all of us yet? Um, one of my heart, when, when Heather talked about this program and as I've read about the curriculum and what it is, I'm telling you guys, this is, this is just the gospel. And, and I believe every single person in this room, including the guy holding the microphone, uh, could attend Celebrate Recovery. This is, this is just simply us admitting that we have problems in our lives that you and I can't solve. We're, we're not our own saviors. We're not each other's saviors. There's one savior and we need him. And Celebrate Recovery is a place where we can finally take the masks off a safe place where we can circle up and say, this is who I really am. This is what I'm really struggling with. And to start at that basis, and I think beyond us doing that, there is no other good half of the gospel. Until we admit our need for a Savior, believers and unbelievers alike, um, th our Savior can't, can't help us. Um, so, so Heather, we, we talked about that a little bit, and, and this was another church that had put this video together. Uh, we didn't change our name to Emmanuel Reformed Church. Elders didn't go for that, but uh, this is this is just a this was just a kind of a weekly. Typically, um, Celebrate Recovery meets once a week on a weeknight. Uh, this was just their church schedule. Talk a little bit of what what a nightly meeting would look like with Celebrate Recovery. So a nightly meeting was um, for I attended the Celebrate Recovery back home um, for three years, and what we would do is we would come in, um, we would have our opening large group um, lesson, the main lesson of the night. We would then break um, into our smaller groups, but in the in between the break, we would have maybe snacks or even a meal. Um, my passion is feeding those because I was one that was hungry for a long time. Um, I love to make a meal for other people, um, and so what we would do is we would just have a few snacks or or sometimes um, soups, and then we would break into our small groups, um, and then after our small groups, um, we would close out the night. It's um, roughly an hour and a half, two hours, um, but it's a place of healing. It's where you can come and, and open up. You know, one of the things, Heather, as I was thinking about this uh, for myself, for many people in the church, I mean, you know, this is not, when we think about these kind of groups, we think of Friday night in the basement, dimly lit, coming with a paper bag over our heads, no one knows who we are, um, that this isn't that. We are celebrating. In the title, it's, it's to celebrate recovery. For those of us in this church who are going, if I attend this, 
people are going to think, oh, he's one of those guys. How do we work through that stigma of just simply coming to this kind of a place uh, with the mask off? Who cares? <laughs> no, no. There you go. All right, next question. <laughs> I don't care. Do you care? No. It is hard. Um, but I guess after I was just thrown on the front page of the newspaper, I didn't care, you know. But um, if, if you are ashamed of that and you are afraid of that, um, pray about it. Get with God. God will show you. He'll lead you to the place you need to be. Um, and I hope it celebrate recovery. Um, now, we, we've talked about this. We prayed, you know, th- this is something we want our church, our leadership, our body to, to, to catch the vision of. That's why we started that there was no better way to start a campaign for Celebrate Recovery than just to hear the testimony of a life like Heather's who was changed uh, through it. But this is certainly not about programs. This is about God. And, and if he's going to do this, if he's going to move in our church and do something mighty within the people of our church, and I believe something like this, and we know, and it's not just drug and alcohol, but it is drug and alcohol, and we know in our community, how deep some of those things run, in Slobotna Kenai in particular. And I think if we just kind of get out of the way and let God do something with this, uh, it's, it's, I think it could be big, and it could be incredible. Uh, so one of the couple things we want to look at as we kind of start campaigning that way, um, Heather, in a couple weeks, uh, we're going we're gonna to be asking for uh, those who might be interested in helping uh, lead Celebrate Recovery to come meet. Yes, we need um, men and women who... Um are interested in the program, who want to be involved, who want to help. Um, we're looking at maybe on a Monday night um, of doing Celebrate Recovery, hopefully, on a Monday night. Um, give two hours of your time on a Monday night to love the men and women in our community who need you um, and to be committed to it. And if you are one of those um, that is interested in helping, um, come to our leaders leadership training. January the 15th, right after service, with a paper bag lunch, right? Um, yeah, so um, anyone who's interested, please come and, and feel free to join and, and give us a hand. We want to get this going. We want it to be big. Um, we, I just feel the urge that our community needs it. Um, I just, I know in my heart this is what God brought me here to do. I've prayed for God to show me what I'm doing in Alaska other than working. Um, and, and a couple month or so ago when, when Pastor was preaching a sermon on taking the mask off, I was like, I felt God just say, this is what you're doing. You're starting to celebrate recovery. And so here we are, and he's open to it. So don't let him be the only man leader I have right now. I need some men that are interested. And when we talk about leaders, Heather, we talked about we're, we're not looking for people who have it all together, uh, what we call them fixers. That's not what this group is about. It's about sitting in a circle and all of us looking at each other going, we all need Jesus, every single one of us. So if you're interested in coming in two weeks, it'll be right after church, paper bag, lunch, bring your own, like Heather mentioned. Uh, we're not looking for people who have it together to point those who don't in the right direction. Um, so if you're going, yeah, I'm not qualified to be a leader, you're the one we want, okay? You're the exact one we want. So Heather, thank you so much for sharing your story today, uh, for talking this through with us. And this is just the beginning. It's the beginning of an exciting uh, journey for each of us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll just kind of close out with uh, an acapella version of uh, Amazing Grace. Father God, you are so good, and I just want to say thank you 
in particularly what you've done in the life of Heather and for her courage uh, to walk that road, uh, to open herself up to the grace and love of the Father and to share that story this morning with us. And uh, Lord, Heather is not unique in, the, in her story. There are many who are sitting in this room tonight, uh, to this morning, who might be listening to this on podcast that have walked through um, a journey like Heather's and, and who knows where they are on that journey. And, and Lord, I pray that if, if this thing is going to take off, uh, not the program, <laughs> but a movement of people admitting their need and coming to glorify you as need meter. Lord, that you do this in a mighty way, that we would just simply get out of the way and watch you do an amazing thing through the men and women uh, here at Peninsula Grace and in our community. And uh, we just give that to you. And, and you know what's coming. Uh, you know what this is going to look like. And we just trust you and follow you in that. We love you, Father. And we pray as we begin this new year. Uh, that we would press forward with, with fresh eyes to see the love and, and grace and glory of our Father in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.